Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ rest with every heart and mind gathered in this place. I want to welcome you to uh, this time of study, but not just we who are in this room in the sanctuary. I want to welcome those who are worshiping in the Family Life Center and those who are part of our extended JCBC family worshiping online, uh, both neighbors who are near and neighbors who may be far away, and you need to know that you are welcome in this time. Uh, we, we are grateful that you would be part of this study, this ongoing study, and boy, am I excited about today. You have no idea how excited I am to introduce you to this woman sitting right here to my right, to Suzanne Stabile. Listen, some of you I know were part of our big weekend, Friday night, and all day yesterday, we sat under the instruction and listened to the wisdom. We just caught pearls dropping yesterday and the day before from Suzanne. Suzanne's bio is on the back of your worship guide. I don't want to, I'm going to trust you to read that uh, because we've got work to do. We've got some things to cover here today. We've got to get down to it. But I just want you to know what an absolute grace it is that we get to share some time and space with Suzanne. She is a master teacher of the Enneagram uh, and is uh, known the world over. Uh, and she is here with her favorite human on the planet. And that is, uh, that is Joe Stabile sitting on the front row. Would you do me a favor uh, and give a JCBC welcome to both Suzanne and Joe Stabile today? Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah. We're really grateful to, to both of you for being here. Your work in the life in the Trinity Ministries, uh, of course, precedes you, but we, we all um, who are aware of your work have been blessed. I and my family have been blessed by your, your work in the Enneagram for, for uh, many years now. And I want to talk about it okay. today. I want actually for me to shut up and you to talk about it, if that's fair. That enough. works for me. That's okay with you. I told Suzanne, listen, I told Suzanne <laughs> when we were talking about this on the phone, she said, well, how long do we have? My normal teaching time is eight hours. Yeah. So I'm just saying. Eight hours. I said, oh, they'll be fine. <laughs> In fact, I told her that last Friday, uh, some of you came with me to the synagogue, synagogue door Tamid uh, here in Johns Creek, and I, I preached at the synagogue, and the rabbi gave me uh, 15 minutes, and about seven or eight of you showed up there, and when I pointed you out, I, I did so to tell the congregation members there, um, the only reason they're here is because they've never heard me preach a 15-minute sermon. <laughs> Today, uh, we, we're looking at the clock, and we're going to see what kind of ground we can plow and what kind of seeds we can plant uh, by the time the hour is up. Uh, but you might get comfortable because you won't want to leave. So today, let's start it this way, uh, Suzanne. Uh, for many who are in this conversation right now, mm -hmm. for many who are following in this sermon series and who are aware of the Enneagram, um, they too are excited about what we're talking about. For many, it's unfamiliar territory. It's a strange word they've never heard. For some, it's even a suspicious word. What is this? And why are we talking about that and not Jesus? You know? So let's say you and I get on an elevator uh, in a building and have to go four or five stories, maybe six. And somebody gets on the elevator with us and says, oh, what do you do? And you say, well, I teach the Enneagram. And they say, what's that? The doors close. And you have like five floors to tell them. What would you say? Give me your elevator speech. Well, when that happens, I choke. Okay. <laughs> okay. And the reason I do that is because I, there is no elevator speech, and I've worked on one. Okay. So I'll give you what I've got. Give it to me. Okay. Which is that um, the Enneagram is nine ways of seeing. And interestingly enough, in some way, we all fall 
worldwide, in my experience, into one of those nine ways of seeing. My husband's a pastor, and uh, I really love Jesus and the church, and I wouldn't spend my life doing something that didn't represent that well. And my goal in life uh, became to do something that would help us be more compassionate, that would help us build communities with diversity instead of building community with only people who think like we think. And I um, stumbled into the world of Richard Rohr because of Joe's relationship with him, and he handed me an Enneagram book 30 years ago and a manuscript for his next book, and I read it, and I thought, okay, this is my thing. I, I can teach this in a way that everybody will have a place to stand and there will be a new conversation that's relevant and identifying but impersonal about difference. Okay. So surely we're to the eighth we're floor. We're to the eighth floor, but that's good. That's not, yeah, that's not bad. So that, that frames, right, what we're trying to do for a little while here today. These nine ways of seeing, right? So Suzanne, last week I did kind of just an intro sermon to, to kind of set the table a little bit for uh, understanding these nine ways of seeing. And I said some things last week, so I need you to check me on it here. Okay. Uh, I said some things last week like, um, if you don't know your Enneagram number, it doesn't matter. If you don't care about your Enneagram number, it doesn't matter just yet. It's okay. But what you do need to know is that when you were born, you were born because God thought you were a good idea. That's it. You were born with the holy presence and action of God in you. And then you, in your environment where you grew up, in your home, you grew up learning to put on certain skins, certain masks, persona, different personalities in order to survive in that world. And that world around you began to affirm that. You're good at wearing that skin. You're good at wearing that persona. We kind of need that personality for our system to manage and to survive. And so it gets reinforced. And in, in some ways, it feels a little bit like a superpower. Like there are some things that you can do because of who you are and what your personality looks like that gives you some strength in your family, in your system, in your workplace, in your world. But the trouble with superpowers is that every superpower has a kind of kryptonite. And that very thing that can be what has served you for so long can be the place where your biggest trap is that you keep falling into. So last week I said, it doesn't matter if you don't understand this mystery, because who can fully understand this mystery? But these nine ways of entering the world, these nine ways to view and do your life, they can be grouped into three groups of three, right? right. Three triads right. that basically describe the three kinds of ways that we all enter the world. We all have heart and head and gut or instinct. And although we are all Trinitarian in nature, you know, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. In some ways, one of those triads or one of those centers of intelligence mm -hmm. begins to emerge as our dominant way of being in the world. And so today, what I want us to do is camp out in one of those triads. So today, for three weeks, um, we're going to be in the heart triad. And specifically, we're going to be in the number twos of the heart triad. The heart triad is twos, threes, and fours. And I want us to talk primarily about that today for two reasons. One, because twos is the first, the two is the first number in the heart triad, but number two, because you and I are both twos. Right. So I crafted the calendar of this thing when I knew she was coming to town because I thought it might be fun for us to be on stage together talking with one another and with you about our two-ness and how we are trying to learn to navigate the world through that lens. So let's get back on the elevator. Uh, oh man! Back on the yeah big elevator this time. Okay. And and we can we can push stop, you know okay. like the emergency stop. I'm all in. Then. You good? Yeah. Okay. So it's a big elevator and we got lots of time. I want you to to take us on a journey. First, say some things about the heart triad in general, and then get us to twos and tell us about us. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, the lovely thing about the Enneagram is that it shows you um, what and who you are and how you do things wrong. And then it shows you at exactly the same time how you can change that behavior and do things better. And it does that in a, a um, kind of a non-judgmental way because ultimately everybody's in, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you, if you get all whipped up about one number when I'm teaching, then be careful because your number's coming, it's right? It's next. And I think I, having grown up in the church and really wanting to be a good human being, but a little feisty for that. I, uh, I, I wanted to know what to do about what was wrong. So I kind of have this thing that I say respectfully, mm -hmm. and that is that I, I, I believe I'm going to get to heaven because I'm with Joe. Like he's going for sure, and we're not good separated. So I'm 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 kind of flying in on that, and I've I've decided that when I get there, if it's appropriate, or moderately appropriate, I'm gonna just ask if I could talk to Paul. Okay. And the reason I want to do that is twofold. I I, I want to talk to him about women. I think he missed that a little. There you go. Yeah. And yeah. I want to talk to him about the fact that he wrote over and over and over. Why do I do the very thing? that I don't want to do. And I can just say, because of your Enneagram number. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I think, wouldn't you want anybody to say that to you? If, you try, if you're trying really hard to not do the thing that you do over and over that doesn't work, wouldn't you want somebody to say, I, I can help you with that? Mm -hmm. So that's true of all nine numbers. And if we get that down to the heart triad, it's interesting to me that in that triad, feelings are dominant and feelings are messed up. Mm -hmm. So you and I, uh, I think we're both fairly talented and fairly good at what we do. But one thing that helps us mm -hmm. is that when we walk into a situation, we pick up other people's feelings and not our own. Right. So it's kind of cool to be in ministry when you're picking up on other people's feelings because it, it looks like you have an intuitive sense that actually is just part of the reality that you pick up other people's feelings, which is lovely, except the counter to that is that we don't know what we feel about anything. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I don't know how you work that out with Laura, but here's mm -hmm. how I work that out with Joe. When I'm really not doing well, he just puts his hands on my face and he says, if, if you'll just tell me what you're feeling mm -hmm. or what you need, I'm happy to work us toward that. And that's so great, except I don't know. Mm -hmm. right. And still, after all these years and all my life experience, I'm 69, I still don't know most of the time. Threes, um, in relationship to feelings, read other people's feelings, but they find them to be kind of messy and unpredictable. So, so even though they're in the heart triad, they read feelings, but they set those aside because they're going to deal with them later because they're just too messy to manage right now. And in doing that, they very seldom go back and pick up those feelings. So they take in information the same way we do, but they respond to it differently than we do. And that means that feelings ultimately are really hard for them to read their own and other people's. Mm -hmm. Fours on the Enneagram are uh, called the romantic, and there are probably fewer fours in the world than any other number, and they're often uh, in literal art forms, and they're very creative, and they don't like things that are average. So if they're sad, they'd really kind of like to be sadder. And if they're happy, they'd really kind of like to be happier. And so their way of dealing with feelings is to exacerbate them. So if you just take a glance at the Enneagram and at the triads and you think, oh, well, like I'm, I'm, I'm probably a feeling person and that probably means I'm really good at that. It does, but it also means that you're really messed up in terms of feelings at the same time. managing them. Right? Yeah, that's good. So it's... Um, um, 
which, which goes into what we talked a little bit about last week, that the very thing that you're good at can be the very thing that, that is your blind spot. Absolutely. The best part of you yeah. mm -hmm. is also the worst part of yeah. you. Yeah. And what we do culturally in the West is get rid of the worst part of us. Right. Ignore Whatever it, we have to do. Or, we yeah. cover it up. We get it mm -hmm. taken off or taken yeah. out or we do whatever we have to or, do. Or, or in, the case, in the case of twos, we, we will do um, what seems to be very noble. <laughs> yeah. And, and that is spend the energy on other people, spend the energy in recognizing those needs and focusing our energies on those needs, when at the same time what it actually does is it, it camouflages our own actual need to deal with whatever those needs or feelings may, sure. may happen to be. Sure. So what can seem to be a very feeling person. So if, loving. So kind. And generous. Yeah, tender. And Christ-like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Yeah, so let's just but end the there. I think is, that's good. So you you want to stop? Let's just stop there. All right, we're on the floor. Twos what are like Christ. Are <laughs> yeah, twos are like Christ. So we're just going to stop there. You no. know, I don't live here, so I'm going to keep going. Keep on. Okay. All right, come on. And I, I think it, it, it's tricky because it seems so Christ-like. Yeah. But I finally had to ask myself some questions about how in the world am I going to know what's mine to do? You know, I, I have a tendency to take over what somebody else is to do. Mm -hmm. And do it and feel pretty good about me. But I've kind of learned that when I do what's not mine to do, somebody else doesn't get to do what God's calling them to yeah. do. Yeah. And I, I, I think, so our sin, every Enneagram number is associated with a sin or a passion. And our sin is pride. But it's not the normal understanding of pride. Uh, the definition in the Enneagram for pride is an inability or unwillingness to acknowledge one's own needs and suffering while tending to the needs of other people. And that is problematic, and that's what we're particularly good at. How old are you? I'm 48. Well, let me tell you what. Mm. 50 is a big event. Okay. <laughs> and... Uh, and let me tell you something else. Yeah. 60 is not the new 40. Okay. <laughs> Who, whoever said that is not 60. They're not telling the truth. Okay. All right. And what happens to you in those transitional times mm -hmm. is you get tired. Sure. And when you can't give to everybody, if you haven't done some work, how are you going to know who to give to? Mm -hmm. And ultimately... How are you going to know how to ask for what you want and for what you need? And I realized that this man who is the best human being ever. Um, Glenn? You're talking about Glenn or Joe? Joe, I, okay, the lights are here. Yeah, so, you know, okay. I don't know you <laughs> He's yet, okay too. But you could yeah. be second. <laughs> um, wants to give to me too. Yeah. And my children are... All adults, we have four, and they range in age from 31 to 41, and they want to give to me. And we have nine grandchildren, and they want to give to me. And there's a, an arrogance that yeah. lies on the side of the giver yeah. Yeah. that can make you feel like you're really good when you're really selfish. Yeah, yeah. You picking up what she's putting down there? So it, you can camouflage the very thing that you're trying to avoid. You want to look, if you're two, which is called the giver, right. tall, called or the, the helper. helper, or the helper, uh, you, can, uh, you can recognize and meet the needs of those in the room quite well. You, you're just good at it. You learn to do it. But part of the sinister hidden trap of that is that you learn to, you learn to do that by making yourself indispensable to them. Right? So there's something very unhealthy that happens. Talk to us about what happens, Suzanne, when, when if, I am, if I have no needs or if I am emoting like I have no needs yeah. and I'm going to take care of everybody, I got this, I'm in charge of you, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to meet your need, I, I got you, don't worry about it. If that's happening, then what's happening in the, the relationship between the two of us in terms well, of dependency? sadly, um, you sure you want your people to know this stuff? Listen. <laughs> You learned, listen, a long time ago, no, but at the same time, all kidding aside, a long time ago, I, I, picked up, I picked up a desire to lead from your wounds. Okay. 
You don't lead or lead from your scars. Yep. You don't lead from your wounds. Right. Wounds are gaping open and they don't want to see me bleed everywhere. But you lead from your wounds. And there's so some I hate to in interrupt, but they love you. Mm. And if you're bleeding, they do want to be there. Okay. Well. Sorry. Okay. Let's stand for the benediction. We are done. Here. <laughs> you know, no. Joe, uh, I told Joe years ago yeah. that I kind of thought I might be good at preaching and that I, you? If, if he ever needed me, if he was ever sick on a Sunday, mm. I'm, I'm all in. And he's never been sick gonna, on a Sunday. Not going to happen. <laughs> Not gonna happen. Yeah. Okay. So there's that. Yeah. Right, Look at right. him looking at you with such compassion. Yeah. Uh -huh. Right. 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 But there is there is something that happens though, right? Because if you if you come through the world teaching those who are around you that you have no needs yep. and that you're there to meet their needs, but it's because you believe something. it's not okay to have needs. That's right. So it's not yeah. just uh, you know I don't need anything. Yeah. It's I don't think I get to need anything. Yeah. So. Uh, reciprocity is lost but more importantly mm -hmm. uh, we frequently give to get right right so explain say something about that okay yeah. well uh, it, it's very embarrassing mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to talk about your numbers and right. not mine but exactly. I, it, giving to get really kind of starts out as twos believe that if you don't need them you won't want them you won't really have any place in your life for them so they kind of try to pull you in by meeting your needs. But the gift that we have is that we, we can read people and sense what their needs are. And then we meet them without people having to ask us. But other people don't have that gift, right? And what we need in the beginning, I, I think, is um, we need appreciation and a little bit of attention. And we need people to be grateful, but I had to have surgery when I was 39, and I've, I'm the casserole queen. You know, if, you, if you're in church work, then you know how to put together a meal and take it to somebody, right? So I had this surgery, and nobody brought us a casserole. So I told Joe that I was leaving his church. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not him, just his church. Yeah, yeah. I stand right, with right. him, but yeah. wasn't doing the church anymore. Okay. And what happens to us is that we have an expectation that we don't really know is there until somebody points it out and says, all right, when, when you move toward this person, why are you doing it? What do you expect, if anything, to get in return? And does the other person want your help? And as it turns out, I've helped a lot of folks who didn't want my help. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's problematic. And then we give till we're empty. Mm -hmm. And the people we love the most sometimes suffer yeah. because we're giving somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. All right, so can I... You're doing the benediction again? Can, no, no, no. No, we're, we're just getting warmed up now. So, oh. now. so now you said something. And we're so far off script. It doesn't even matter. You've said something that's triggered a thought in my mind. So the very ones we love, we end up harming or damaging. So here's, I want you to react to something I say here. That part of what I think every number does, but I, I know this only through my own experience in my number, mm -hmm. is that for a two, the world that you try to create growing up is a world in which you are wanted and, and you're not forgotten, left alone, rejected. And you become so good at meeting the needs of those around you that it secures their need of you, yeah. codependence, that at times you can become, if gone unchecked or gone unexamined, mm -hmm. you can, you can bl just bla blaze through life, meeting the needs of everyone around you so much with an unexamined energy that you actually create the world that you're actually trying to avoid. Yep. Because then, then what happens mad. is the people who are close then say, okay, you're smothering now. Yeah. I appreciate you needing, meeting my needs, but now what you've done is you've gone from meeting needs to smothering me, and so I need to, I need to do this to you. And now what have I done but create the world that I was actually trying to avoid with my persona and personality and ego and false self. Can you react to that? Yeah, well, it goes right back to that we feel like if people don't need us, they're not going to want us and they're not going to have room in their life for us. So we uh, create dependent relationships where people are dependent on us. And there's a payback in that that feels really good. Yes. 
So sometimes we make the wrong choice. So I'll give you an example. Uh, when our youngest was five, um, we were serving a, a, a rural church in Northeast Texas, and I was on the Child Protective Services Board for the county, and at that time it was the second poorest county in Texas. And the pregnancy rate was very high among teenagers, and lots of children were in desperate need of homes. And it, it was a very important board to be on, and I was honored to be on it. And uh, you had to drive about 20 miles to the board meeting, and I uh, went one day, and I walked in, and they uh, said, oh, we're so glad you're here. The president's wife had gotten a big promotion in another city, and they were moving, mm -hmm. and they uh, said, you're the one to be president. And I sat up and thought, well, I, yes, I am. <laughs> I'd be so good. I'm an adopted child, and I thought, I'd be... I'd be so good at this. But I said, not an honest response. It was a long time ago. Not that I'm always honest now. But uh, I, I said what I thought was the right thing to say. And I said, I'll pray about it and get back to you. And I went straight from that meeting. Joe and I had a meeting with uh, BJ, our youngest kindergarten teacher. And we got there and she said, uh, I'm so glad you're both here. BJ has some hand-eye coordination problems, and I'm going to show you some things that he needs to do 15 or 20 times every day when he gets home. So I'll give you one example. Picking up cotton balls with tongs and putting them in a muffin tin. So the question that I didn't get to earlier that I was saving for the punchline mm -hmm. is, I think a way we know what's ours to do is by asking what is it if I don't do it, nobody else can or will? And Joe's busy. And uh, there were nine other board members who could be president of the board for child protective services. But cotton balls and muffin tins was my gig. Okay, yeah. And I, uh, you know, BJ thanked me when he was 26. That's a number of years in there. Yeah, I could have gotten a plaque and everything right. over it. That's right. Protective could have had, yeah. T-shirt right? made. That's right. Tricky. Yeah. It's tricky. So here's what it, it then leads to, though. Um, so if, if, you, if you are here and you're hearing something that may sound familiar, right, or without being rude and pointing to the person next to you, you're hearing something that may sound familiar about someone you love, the, the fact is that kind of tendency, that kind of... Um, pattern of wanting to do and do and do and do, it can create a, a slow cooking, simmering kind of resentment if over time it's not alleviated. Or, or watch, watch this. See if, you, see if you recognize this story. This is from Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. And while it's not appropriate to ever try to number or label someone else other than yourself uh, in terms of your Enneagram type, there are characters in Scripture that seem to demonstrate energies of a particular number. And, and the Mary and Martha story, for me, Suzanne, see, seems to demonstrate a two-energy on stage, I mean, on, on, with a spotlight on it. Let me read this. And then we'll talk a little bit about it. Now, as they were on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? And tell her, to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I've preached that text, oh, I don't know, a dozen different ways over the years. At times back when love languages was our, 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 our shtick, I'd say, well, you know, Martha, you know, is acts of service and 
you know, Mary was, you know, quality time. And then we went through a, a, a period where we talked in our relationship about functioners and relators. And well, there, Martha's the functioner and, and, and Mary's the relator. And all that may be true. And there's half a dozen ways to seek wisdom and truth out of a story like that. But for the first time recently ever, looking at this character, this story through the lens of the Enneagram, there's two energy all in that house. Because Martha is entertaining and welcoming and intuitively is seeing the needs of the room. So she's in the part of the house where she's making preparations, right? She's, and she sees everyone else having their needs met and she doesn't mind because a two doesn't mind. A two knows what needs to be done and can get it done. But in time, there is an unchecked emotion there. Bitterness begins to emerge and she comes to Jesus and says, do you not care? Do you not, do you not see what's happening here? And this bitterness is what I want to talk about for just a minute, Suzanne. Okay. So, so when, you, when you see that in Martha, where does your mind go? Where, how, do, how do you see this through the eyes of a two? Well, um, you're married to a culinary artist, so I'm yeah. guessing you don't cook much. That's right. Yeah, it's but not I'm a good not. idea for me to cook. Well, I'm not, and okay. I do. All right. Yeah, yeah. And here's my way of telling the story. Mm. Take a very deep breath. Mm -hmm. So my perception is that Martha's in the kitchen, and it's hot, and she wants to serve Jesus so that she can receive appreciation and care. And Mary is in the front room, and they're chatting it up, Jesus and Mary. And Martha can hear some of it, and she's got something to say, but she's not in the room. She has a question, but she's not in the room because she's cooking, and it's hot. And so ultimately, she does what any two in average space would do, and that is she goes in to tattle. And she says, are you going to let her just sit here while I do all the work? It's, it's hot, and it's been a long day. And then Jesus says, she's chosen the better part. And so my takeaway from that is that the fact that you think you're serving God doesn't always mean you're serving God. Sometimes you're just serving yourself. And I think Martha started in the kitchen because she wanted to be seen and appreciated and cared for and known for being generous and gracious and for serving. And it's uncomfortable for us to be the listener right. sometimes when we could be offering something that we think is going to guarantee us a spot yes. in the heart or the affection of somebody else. Yeah, yeah. That position of sitting and receiving, yeah. the, the Mary model of the story, and I, I tend to believe, Suzanne, that we, these stories are told not for one reason, but for any, any sure, number of reasons. Sure. So, so one reason is that there is Mary and Martha in all of us. That the Mary and the Martha within, mm -hmm. sometimes one is dominant and one is the other. Uh, one, is, one is not. But when, in, in this story, when, when Martha is doing all of the work and then goes to tattle, it reveals a hidden motive, right? The, so each number has a motive, but it's hidden. You're blind to it. You would never think if you are a two that my motive is to somehow secure a spot in my family's life or in my uh, workplace life or with my friend group. Uh, I'm just trying to help them because we are blindest to our own uh, motives and for the two and Mary and any two that we're talking about. That's where the trap is. But you don't get there overnight. No, and I, I thank goodness, I don't, nothing much happens overnight. But I, I do think that it's supposed to be a journey. Mm -hmm. I think the church, oh, oh, the church, I teach in every denomination and uh, hang out at, in the Methodist church with Joe. But I, I think we've not been taught well to live with mystery. We think everything needs to be explained and we need to know now and we need to know tomorrow. And the journey of being a two who had a mirror 
to see myself. Like, I've known this for 30 years, and I wouldn't be who I am without that. And I, I think the journey is the whole deal. I think it's the, yeah, whole, the whole deal. thing. And I think it's supposed to be that way. And I think quick answers don't suffice. And when you're our number, as opposed to some of the behavior of other numbers that they too believe is intuitively the right and loving mm -hmm. and Christ-like thing yeah, to do. Right. But I think our number is, it's really easy for us to delude ourselves mm -hmm. into thinking that we're so generous and right. so... Right loving and and we can be which we can be which is where the martyrdom Absolutely. comes in oh right? gosh but but the the Let's not don't, we don't go the there it's time of the benediction yeah because twos can be martyrs i've done all this that's what mary's doing she's martyring right she's i've done all this mary cannot uh, lift a finger around here you know that's where i learned the the third question of did the other person want my help mm -hmm. right. i was martyring one day with our two daughters mm -hmm. You know, I'm doing a little of woe is me. Yeah. I, I, I do so much for you and I take care of you and I did this and this and this mm -hmm. just this week and I really needed you to come through with this. And our oldest daughter is an aggressive number. Not I'm a dependent number. And our oldest daughter very respectfully looked at me and said, Mom, we, we didn't ask you to do any of those things. Yeah. I said something really loving and gentle like, well, you can bet I'm not going to yeah. do it again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do it yourself. Yeah, right. All right, so we got, we're trucking. We're getting close. So I want to I cover one more thing, though. Okay. Because every number, and twos are no exception, become twos because you carry around in you a wounding message. A wounding message. And each week we're going to look at the wounding message of that number. So what is the wounding message that's carried around by twos? It's not okay to have your own needs not okay to have your own okay. needs yeah and we all picked it up in childhood yeah. I picked it up because I'm an adopted child my parents were my dad was the doctor in the community that I grew up in and they my parents were really well loved and everybody told me as a child how lucky I was to be adopted by them because I didn't need a thing they would just say you don't need anything so I, I thought okay Okay. I remember going to church one Sunday morning, and my best friend had red shoes. Hmm. And I thought, I was five or six, and I thought, I need some red shoes. And uh, on the way out the door, one of the women in the church said to me, I, I just hope you know how lucky you are. And you look so cute today, and aren't those shoes cute? And I th never did ask for red mm -hmm. shoes. Yeah. First time my mom heard me tell that mm -hmm. story, she got me some. Did she? Yeah, yeah, I was 50-something. Okay. <laughs> so, so thinking back about the wounding message, I had asked you to share. Where do you think you picked some of that up? And that's what you, you just yeah. did. Um, so for me, many of you know, some of you know, many don't know, that my brother, uh, Toby, I've told you stories about him. Uh, when he died at 25, uh, younger brother, I don't think I told you this in our pre-talk here, but Toby was always dying. Toby was always, he, from the time he was two years old, two hours old, mm -hmm. at two hours until his death at 25, was always dying. We were always in the hospital. And when I say always, I mean there wasn't a year in which there wasn't long durations in the hospital and where he was always dying about any moment. Family called in many times, this is gonna be it, this is gonna be the one. But, and many of those times, most of those times, I had such a loving family who would allow me to stay with them, cousins, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and I would, I would move about, and I may have had some needs, but at least I'm not dying. That's right. Nobody ever said that. And, and when it comes to wounding messages, it's very important that you know that wherever you picked up a wounding message, it is not your mom and dad's fault. It's not your family's fault. It is what it is. You pick up a message for a variety of reasons. I'm partly saying that because my mother's watching right now, too. Oh, that's a thing. Yeah, that's a thing. I get my mom's in yeah. heaven. I guess she is, too. She's in heaven, too. She listens. Oh, she would want me to sit at S position. So, yeah, the S position. Okay. But so the point, though, is you pick up along the way that you do have needs, but at least it's not like, so you deal with your, so guess who became good at washing dishes 
and doing laundry at my cousin's house. And I'll, I'll make sure, are you hungry? You want some breakfast? Mm. No, you're in a hurry. It's okay, I'm good. I can do the toast and I can do, you know, yep. from. And so that's not a martyr story. That's just a true story. And you have stories like that. But you learn along the way, your environment shapes the personhood, the personality that you choose to wear in, in life. And then the journey, the further journey, is learning to shed that skin and learning to allow that to disappear. Because in this story, you got the Martha pattern, which is, look at me, nobody is seeing me. And she goes to Jesus and says, do you not see this? And he says, Martha, Martha. Yeah. Of course. And when he says it that way, it's so tender. And Laura sometimes will say, you know, she sees me all worked up, or as you like to say, getting all whipped up about something. <laughs> sometimes she'll say, Sean, Sean. What it means is, I'm seeing you in a way that you're not seeing you. And Jesus says to her, I see you. I see you. I've always seen you. Better than you even see you. She has chosen the better thing. It is okay for you to allow the Mary in you to emerge and receive. Some who are here and watching online need to know that it is okay to receive. It is not a selfish thing. That it is a way to love yourself as Christ commanded us to love ourselves. Um, so give me one or two tips. We're already past time, but, but we're going we're gonna to stay with this for one or two more minutes because I want to do something. If, if there is a two in somebody's life, mm -hmm. what can they do to love them? If, how do you love the two in your life better? Um, with gratitude. Um, sometimes twos begin to feel taken for granted because, it's like, well, Sue's will... She'll be all right. It'll be all right with her. She, she'll she do it. She'll take care of herself. Yeah, you know, I quit baking cookies for vacation Bible yeah, school, right. and nobody loved that. Yeah, right. So we can count on her. She'll bring cookies. She'll, she'll do it. She'll do mm -hmm. it. So don't take things for granted. Don't take twos for granted. And if you ask them what they need or what they feel, give them some time to tell you because in real time they don't know. And, and the last thing I would say is mm -hmm. there was a point in... in my, our life together, Joe's a, also a other reference number, and um, we need a lot of help. And we talked to our spiritual director and our therapist, and finally, our therapist said, you need to go to the church and to the LTM community, and you need to say, we're in a lot of trouble, and we need help, and we have no idea what we need. So we need you to figure it out and do it for us. Hmm. And boy, did they come through. Hmm. So I think sometimes if you expect us to ask for what we need, we're not going to. Right. And when you ask us if you expect us to know what we need, we don't. And so if you do something like that, it's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know it's tight, but I don't want you to skip the last minute. So I want to talk about being wanted. Yeah, right. Do it. So the healing message is that you are wanted. And I want you to hear the difference between you are wanted and you are needed because our goal in life is for you to need us but it's so that you'll want us and so the bottom line is kind of want me if I wore a sign it would mm -hmm. say want me want me yeah mm. okay that's good I would also say that the um, the two in your life not only can't recognize their own needs and won't articulate it right um, easily but it, see if this resonates with you as a two with a three wing wanting to succeed at what I do that I will never never mail things in so most of the things that matter I, I won't mail in I'm never going to mail in a sermon I'm never going to mail in time that my staff needs me I'm never going to mail in time with Laura or the boys I am never going to mail that in just kind of uh, give it half of my energy the thing that a two will mail in is self-care. Absolutely. The thing that a two will mail in is, I'll take care of that later. And it never, later never comes. No. Right? And, and we have no boundaries. Yeah. Zero. Mm. Yeah. Right. Joe had to teach me not everybody likes to be touched. <laughs> so shocking to me. Right. He said, especially Mr. McClendon. He doesn't want you putting holy water on his bald head. I said, well, tell him to quit praying for hair. Stop praying for hair. That's right. I, you know, it I, to grow. I was so surprised to find out not everybody wants to be touched. Yeah, yeah. So. Okay. All right. We did good. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>
here's what I want to do. Um, so we could talk all day. We really could. Talk I for sure could. But I, I just want to make, and they know I can. Yeah. I just want to make sure that if there is a two here, you hear this. It is okay that you at times are Martha because we need you. We need you to be you in all your two-ness. We need you in all the energy you bring to see others and to recognize and meet those needs. The world is better and more beautiful because of that. But we need you to also know that it's okay to have needs and to not have to hide those needs because that's the rest of the world's way of loving you. So there is a, a set of songs that has been made very popular by a group called Sleeping at Last. And each week, as we cover these patterns, Suzanne, where we talk about the, the type and the biblical character that demonstrates that type and the wounding message of that type and the healing message that that type needs to hear, we're going to end each time with a song. And this song is written specifically with incredibly in, intelligent lyrics that speak directly to the heart of a two. This is written and, and sung from the perspective of a two. And I want you to, to tune in as we uh, conclude our time together and Adam, uh, Adam is going to sing it. Sweetheart, you look a little tired. When did you last eat? Come in and make yourself right at home. Stay as long as you need. Tell me, is something wrong? If something's wrong, you can count on me. You know, I take my heart clean apart if it helps yours be. It's okay if you can't find the words. Let me take your coat and this weight off of your shoulders Like a force to be reckoned with Mighty ocean or a gentle kiss I will love you with every single thing I have Like a tidal wave will make a mess Calm waters if it serves you best I will love you without any strings attached It's okay if you can't catch your breath You can take the oxygen straight out of my own chest how the rule goes put my mask on first no I don't want to talk about myself tell me where it hurts I just want to build you up build you up till you're good as new and maybe one day I will get around to fixing myself too
like a force to be reckoned with A mighty ocean or a gentle kiss I will love you with every single thing I have Like a tidal wave or make a mess Or calm the waters if it serves you best I will love you without any strings attached Without a single string attached Amen. So we're going to pray and then we're going to leave this space. But the prayer is that we leave this space uh, transformed for having been together. There we go. But before we do, we want to express our deep gratitude to Suzanne and Joe for being with us. Would you join me in thanking Suzanne? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's bow together in a word of prayer. Good and loving God, uh, we are grateful for this time that we've been able to, to study and to dialogue with each other in a space that is made sacred because you are here, in a time that is made sacred because you are here. Our prayer, Lord, during this, this season of study where we a look at ourselves and attempt to allow you to transform us that we may love more deeply and live more freely. We pray that you might be able to show us something that we have not seen before and give us the courage to act upon that which we have seen, believing that once you see, you can never unsee. Even today there may be someone in whom there is a stirring Godward and our prayer is that you would give them the courage as well to move toward that tug that they may know you more fully be transformed more beautifully even into your own image we pray these things in the name of Christ Amen